Great to see you all here. It's a fascinating uh, topic that we're devoting a whole year to, the idea of holiness. When I grew up, I didn't want any time devoted to holiness. It just sounded like a horrible word that God was perfectionistic and mostly angry. That's what I thought holiness was about. And so really it deserves um, uh, for us to be able to spend some time really unpacking what this idea of holiness is all about. So we started last week looking at the um, kind of a definition of what holiness is. And then today we're going to be talking about holiness lost. Last week, we looked at the idea of what holiness is, and we said that the word means, literally, to cut or to separate. So when it says that God is holy, it means that he's cut or separated something from something else. And that was our big question. What is he actually dividing? What is he separating? Well, he's separating love from sin. And so anything that is sinful, he wants to cut away, and what remains is his beautiful, holy love. And so it's who he is, and it's what he invites us into. We summarized last week with this phrase, that holiness is relationship in its purest form. So when we want to understand what holiness is, we need to connect it to love and relationship. And when God says that he's holy, it means that what he is and what he wants for us is to have a pure relationship, something that's unstained by whatever is sinful and alienating. And God has set us apart to enjoy that kind of relationship with him and with one another. So what we're going to be looking at today is what went wrong. If that was God's original plan and purpose, how do things go sideways? We're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 13 in particular. So this is not going to be on the screen. So you either get to uh, use one of these, it's called the Bible, or you get to look at an app on your phone, which is also a Bible, and look at what Genesis 3, verses 1 to 13 is about. So we're going to read that together. If you can look on your phone, that would be really great. And uh, I think it's, it's one of these passages of Scripture that's so critical, it deserves having it all be read out, because really it unlocks so much of what the rest of the Bible talks about. So Genesis chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And the serpent is understood to be the devil, um, kind of personified in a serpent. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Uh, the serpent is putting a question mark in Eve's mind. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God's been lying to you. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. 
Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. And thus begins the alienation that we all experience from God and from one another. Now, I've created a bit of a table that is uh, kind of summarizing the main points of this passage. And so we're going to go through them together, and I hope that this is going to be helpful for you to understand what our core problem is, really, in all of humanity. It begins with the question, did God really say? Some people, when you ask them, what is the root problem in all of humanity? Uh, It's common to hear people say that it's pride. That's the number one problem, that people are proud, and, uh, you know, that's the source of all of humanity's problems. Well, here we see that there's actually something that happens before pride, and it's this idea of mistrust. What did God really say? And what he says, is it really true and for good? Mistrust, I think, is the, well, according to this passage, is the core problem in all of humanity. Everything spills out from there. And here's the question that we ask where our mistrust stems from. Is God holy? Is he unique in his goodness and his greatness? So think about this. You, uh, you know, people think that the fruit was an apple. We don't know that, but we're just going with what's popular. So we have a, a fruit today, an apple today. And so just imagine, you're Adam and Eve. You can do what you want and there's one thing you can't do and that's eat this particular fruit what a random (laughs) like you know I think about as we were raising our kids it felt like most of the rules that we had in our house were random back then you're gonna think it's funny maybe but we didn't want our kids um, uh, oh I just lost the name of the whole series that's super popular Harry Potter yeah (laughs) They spoke it out. They're still, you know, getting over it. Um, but, uh, but back then, that was of the devil. And then we find out that she's a Christian. The whole thing got messed up. But anyways, uh, back then, that was one of our rules. And so, you know, uh, like, do anything you want, but just not that. How do you, how do you trust that? Because it always feels random. Clean your room or not. Like as if I'm going to go, I don't care. And it feels as though, you know, God makes up stuff to just test us. Like eat anything except tofu. (laughs) Like really? Like why did you pick that? You could have picked broccoli. I would have preferred broccoli. But no, like why are you... Like, it just seems odd. And so the devil capitalizes on this. And he says, what a random thing 
to say no to. It's so random that actually, I think, it's beneficial. And if you were to eat this, tons of good stuff is going to happen to you. Did God really say, can we trust that he's holy, that he's actually thoroughly good, and anything that he says to us is for our benefit? It's hard sometimes. So Eve thinks, yeah, that is random. Can I trust what he says? Can I trust that not eating this is, a, is, is good news for me? Well, her answer is no. No, I don't think it's good news. I think God's keeping something from me. And so it's, it's fascinating how she describes it, that it's good for food, tastes really good. It's pleasing to the eye, so you know, my mouth will enjoy it, my eyes will enjoy it. And I, it's also desirable for gaining wisdom. My mind is going to enjoy it. There's all kinds of benefits going on here, and God is keeping something from me. And so I'm going to decide to trust in myself instead of trust in God. That just makes sense to me. I think I know what's best for me. Who could love me better than myself? And so I'm going to choose to trust in me over trusting in God. Put in the language of this sermon series, I'm going to trust that I'm holy, that he's not holy. I'm holy. I know what's best. I can decide for myself what is good and bad, holy and unholy. I think that should be my job. I think I'll do a better job of carrying that out. Sobering. It's where everything unravels. Then we come to the phrase, I was afraid. Uh, what's this about? What is the natural result of thinking that we're in charge and that we're the holy ones? Anxiety. Can you imagine? I, I just, I can't picture, because uh, I've been a Christian for a bit now, I can't picture what it would be like to live a life that is all up to me. And I have no one else that I can appeal to, no one else that I can trust in, no one who I think is holier, better than me. It's all up to me. Well, that's going to produce a bit of anxiety. And it's what secular society is characterized by, is we're an anxious people. Perhaps the most anxious generation that has ever lived on the face of the earth is us. Because it's difficult to believe that God is good and God is great. And so I need to trust in myself. And the natural result of that is to be anxious. It's hard to think that we know best. That's a lot of pressure. So what is the result of that? I can't trust God. Got to trust in myself. That freaks me out. The way that I'm going to manage my anxiety is in something called sin. What does their anxiety look like? I was afraid, so I hid. And then I blame. I blame the woman. I blame the serpent. And what we see beginning to unravel is love and relationship. Out of that anxiety, out of that pressure to be holy and responsible, we now see people acting in ways that are divisive and alienating. Our choices 
separate us. They separate us from the goodness of God, the holiness of God, as well as from one another. Now, here is where it gets tricky. Do you remember what holiness means? It means to cut or to separate. That's what holiness means. Holiness separates things. Uh, Now, sin is separating things. Well, that's awkward. Uh, Which is it? You know, which is separating us? God's holiness separates us, but now we read here that sin separates us. And so this is getting complicated. Look, I mean, it gets worse. Look at, um, now we, we get to, so they, they eat the fruit, you know, they get afraid, hide, God calls them out, and then it says God banishes them from the garden. He's separating now. How do we understand this? How do we understand the difference between when we separate things and when God separates things? What is the difference between the two? And at first glance, it might seem a little unfair. Well, you get to separate. Why can't I separate things? Like, what makes you so special? Well, it's called as holiness, but let's unpack what this means. What is the difference between us separating things and God separating things? Well, first of all, our separation of things is described as unholy. What makes it unholy? What makes our divisions of what is good, what's bad, what's right and wrong, what makes our um, separations unholy is that they're based on a self-serving agenda. I'm deciding what good and bad is for self-serving motives. If something is uncomfortable or I don't agree with it or it's inconvenient, I'll call that bad. Something that I think will give immediate pleasure, that I'll enjoy, that, um, that I can imagine being good, I'll call that righteous and I'll call that loving. When we separate things, we do it for self-serving purposes and it leads us always to becoming unfaithful and divisive. Solzhenitsyn says this quote that I think really applies to what we're talking about here. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them, that would be great. Wouldn't it be great if we could just pick out, you know, put up your hand or something, like all the evil people, and we'll just, we'll just you know, herd them up, get them out of the way, and then we can go on with having a wonderful creation, you know? Wouldn't that be simple? I was, um, I forget where I was. Oh, yeah, I, I know where I was, but it doesn't matter. I'm, uh, I'm walking alongside somebody, and I don't mean to, but I'm overhearing their conversation. And all I heard was, yeah, they're idiots. And then they complimented themselves. And I thought, what a simple summary of the world. You're idiots, and I don't know, I'm right. 
Like what a great way to deal with all problems. And don't, haven't you noticed that when you have a disagreement with somebody, you assume their stupidity. And you assume your own innocence. And so we find right here, you decide what right and wrong is. Well, we can see how biased that is, isn't it? That if we simply think that there's good people and bad people. He goes on. But the line dividing good and evil cuts to the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? Our divisions and separations of things are unholy because they're self-serving. And what we forget to understand is the primary dividing line between love and sin is not one person versus another person. It's actually within the human heart. And unless we can be honest and humble about that, our, uh, our decisions and our judgments will always be unholy and corrupt. God's divisions and separations in contrast are holy because what he is dividing is love from sin. This passage shows God's holy love. So he banishes them. Let me explain what this is about. What you have is you have Adam and Eve who have aligned themselves with being their own gods. They've aligned themselves with deciding for themselves what is right and wrong. They've become God. God can't tolerate that kind of attitude. It's destructive to all humanity. His holiness, his love, demands that it be dealt with. And so it must be banished. It must be set out. The problem is, is if we identify with those sinful thoughts and behaviors, when the sin gets banished, so do we. God isn't interested in, uh, in annihilating us. He's interested in saving us and loving us and having a relationship with us. But if we insist on being defined by alienating divisive beliefs and behaviors, when those things get cast out, so do we. But what's fascinating is that God is still committed, even though he must abolish sin, he's still committed to somehow redeeming humanity. And this is what we find in this passage. It says that God made garments of skin for them. This means at least two things. Um, uh, in order for a garment of skin to be made, something needed to be killed. And this is a foreshadowing of Jesus being killed to cover our sin, to forgive our sin. And so it's already, a, it's already looking ahead for what Christ is ultimately going to do, but someone dies in order for our guilt to be covered. What clothing also means is we're being reinstated to a position that we should have lost because of our sinfulness, but God still has said, no, I, I still made you to be in relationship with me, 
and to spread my love and authority across the world. And so as a king would have a robe put on him, or a queen, that they were being reinstated, I've still committed myself to you and to my plans and purposes. So we find even in God's uh, judgment on sin, he's still trying to rescue people from that judgment. So God is holy in his judgments on sin and righteousness. So here's our point. You and I are always going to be dividing things. We are made to be moral people. You can't avoid making judgments. You can't. Um, if, I'm, if I'm driving here, should I, should I cut off this driver because they cut me off? You're going to make a judgment about that. If somebody said something sarcastic to you, what are you going to do with that? You're going to divide what to do and what not to do. You're going to make a judgment. You're going to make a decision about that. Um, when, you're feeling, uh, when you're feeling lonely, you're going to decide what to do with that loneliness. Are you going to go off to pornography or are you going to go off to something else? You're, we're making judgments all the time, dividing good from evil, what we think is best for us and what isn't good for us. We can't avoid a life of division, of separating right from wrong, good from bad. We can't avoid it. The question is whether our judgments are true. So where does good judgments begin? Where do ungodly judgments begin? Well, we've answered the question, haven't we? The original sin is mistrust. Mistrust says, I know what the judgments are, you don't. And as soon as that decision is made, it ripples out a life of alienation and sinfulness. And this becomes our struggle in any given moment of life. Is it really that bad? I'm going to be alone looking at porn. Is it really that bad? Really. Is gossip really that bad? I mean, I'm just saying what's true. The Bible describes gossip as, as uh, choice morsels that you savor. Is it really that bad? Is gossip really? Did God really say that I can't just say honestly and I'll, I'll say at the end of the sentence after I've gossiped that we just need to pray for them? But like, is it really that bad? Is lying like really bad? Really? Is it really that bad? All I have to do is just say that it wasn't my fault and I'm going to have a better day and I get to keep my job. I think it's better. I've thought about this. And I just think it's better. Our problem is not about any given choice we make. 
It's whether that choice is based on trusting in God or ourselves. Trusting in God allows a choice to be holy, to be good and pure for all concerned. Trusting in ourselves leads us to decisions that are harmful and cruel. So the question that faces us, can I say, a hundred times a day, is who am I going to trust to be holy in my life? Who is holy? Am I holy? Is God holy? It takes faith to say no to delicious, good-looking, empowering fruit. It takes faith to do that because there's nothing, this doesn't look dangerous. It doesn't look threatening. I've had many of these. It's fun. Oh, I, actually, that's going to be a bad analogy if I go down that. But, uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, it, it, it just looks right. Come on now. Any time that you've sinned, do you not believe that it's right? Do you not believe that it's somehow justified? I could be angry with the people around me, or I could smoke weed. Right. That's a better choice somehow in your mind. Every sin feels this good. And it takes faith to believe that that could ever be unholy. It's our root issue. Because one of the primary problems is delayed effect. My good friend, uh, he's now Dr. Seth Trimmer, pastors our church in Oregon, uh, Corvallis. And he says, uh, what was going on when uh, the devil is tempting Eve and Adam is standing there? Like, what's he doing? Why isn't he jumping in and, I don't know, saying something? What's going on? His understanding is what's going on is Adam wants to see if she's going to die. <laughs> Isn't that horrible? Like, what a horrible, like, let's just see. I mean, God said you would die, and I'd, let's test it out on you. And then I'm not going to have it if, if you're going to die, but somebody has to be sacrificed, and I choose you. <laughs> Isn't that horrible? That's just horrible. But I think this is what's going on. So he's testing it. Looks like she didn't die. I'll have some too. Thank you very much. And the problem was the effect of their choices is delayed. And the effect of every, most every time we sin, the effect of our sin is delayed. And it feels good for a minute. And it solved something for a minute. And it takes a while before death takes full effect. This week, we're fasting. We're learning 
how to say no to things that feel great. Um, some people who know me, they describe me as a foodie, which is funny. Um, I just love eating. <laughs> I'm not a foodie. I don't cook anything. Uh, it's sad, actually, how little I cook. I make popcorn. <laughs> if it's in the microwave and it, I read the instructions. I mean, it's just the whole thing's horrible. I don't, I, I'm not a foodie. But I love eating. Now get this, I started last night. I'm going to spend a whole week not doing what I really, really like. Why would you, why would you ever do that? I am trying to learn how to say no to things that Jesus says is bad, even though I think it's good. I have to discipline my heart to walk by faith and not by sight. The reason why you are being invited into a week of prayer and fasting is to learn how to say no to what logically makes sense in your heart. And if you can practice that on something like food, maybe when it comes to other moments, you'll learn that no isn't that bad. It's okay to hear no in your life. You know, I think about how um, <clears throat> I like to think that I've grown up. You know, it's, it's, it's up for debate. But I feel as though you and I in this room are still working through what two-year-olds work through. Having an authority figure say no to you and then working that through. I really don't think we've graduated from that lesson. We hate hearing no. There's one thing you can't eat. One tofu. Like it's just one thing. You can have all the other things. No, I want tofu. I've always wanted tofu. And I like the taste. It makes me smarter. It, uh, you know, it, it just, I, I think I deserve to have that. Christians are learning self-control to trust in the holiness of God over their own definition of holiness. And this somehow is the doorway into a brand new life a radically different life. Think of anything that Jesus tells you to do and you can excuse it away. Read your Bible. Really? Really? I go to church once a week. I think that's good. I feel good about that. I prayed about it again. I feel good. I want you to pray. I don't want you to look at that on the internet. I don't want you to say that about other people. Really? But it feels so right. And we're learning 
how to say no to things that initially make sense. What if this is our problem? What if this is why holiness has been lost? Is because we've assumed that we know the definition of right and wrong and we have not graduated beyond Genesis 3. And our freedom is simply this. Say no to something. Let your division between right and wrong be informed by God's word, not by our feelings and logic. If we can do that, I'm excited for 2024. I'm excited for where our church and the church of Jesus Christ is going to be. Is there's a people who have swallowed their pride and have chosen to trust God over themselves. Let's stand together. I'd like to pray for us as the worship team comes forward. <clears throat> Father, I want to thank you for being holy. I thank you that when you say that something is good and something is bad, you're always right. And I ask on behalf of my friends that you would forgive us for thinking that we're more holy than you are, for thinking that the dividing line between right and wrong does not go through our hearts. It just goes between us and others. But I ask that you would give us the humility tonight to admit that our hearts have been made unholy through our mistrust in who you are. And so would you please plant in our hearts repentance, a remorse for the arrogance of trusting in ourselves over you, in that we could discover the life that is found through faith in you. Thank you that your expectations and requests of us are reasonable and always good. And it's now that we choose to say no to things that we could say yes to you. <clears throat>